And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Right, lads. Actually, team talk. Little team talk before we start. Okay. Last podcast, it got a bit messy. All right, it did get a little bit messy. So I think you know, tired minds. The game was running away from us. There's a parallel with Luton for all. Right. Today, lads, it's four four fucking two. Okay, it's four four fucking two. Hello, I'm Taylor Payne and this is Pod on the Time, the Athletics Newcastle United podcast, hopefully returning to some sort of sanity after the last week or so. And I've got George Corkin here and Chris Woff. George, how the devil are you? Are you alright? Yes, sanity is the order of the day, I, I, I hope, I, I believe. Yeah, I'm good. I've had a good week. I've busted out my dinner suit for the second time this week. I went to the Newcastle United Foundation annual awards ceremony on Tuesday night. And uh, yeah, I just want to say what an absolutely brilliant night that was. Just fantastic to see firsthand the work that the foundation does in the city and and beyond and a chance to sort of celebrate some incredible people very inspirational stories about what the foundation does so yeah i would just like to say well done to them there was a couple of very nice moments which i'll mention very briefly eddie howe came on stage to present one of the awards and uh, the the young woman who was getting the awards was asked Oh, how does it feel to be on stage with Eddie Howe? And she just looked at him and said, I don't know who he is. <laughs> and that was obviously genuine. And oh, so everybody laughed a lot. Both Sean Longstaff and Dan Byrne presented awards. And at the end of the end of the show, they both uh, clubbed together to pay a very large sum of money to sponsor the foundation's walking football programme, which wow. had, be, had been one of the sort of auction lots. And um, yeah, just just very good. And then, probably stupidly, I've bought one of Dan Burns' boots in the silent auction. So I'm now the proud owner of a Burn boot. Wasn't one from the Luton game, was it? Yes, it, <laughs> it was supposed to be attached to a frame but fell off. <laughs> Sounds like you've packed it in this week, George. Chris, what about you? Anything exciting? No, I... <laughs> Haven't had to wear my dinner suit at all. I, a didn't get invited to Talon Shearers, and B, I mean, I used to get invited to what is a wonderful night, the NUC Foundation oh, dinner, but I haven't the last few years because I don't know. Oh, if, no. I don't know if I disgraced myself You've at some point him. in the last few years. Well, oh, sorry, Chris. So yeah, so I've just no, I've just been sat in my pants. Oh, lovely. <laughs> oh, well, that's a mental image everybody needs. Sat in your pants, spilling lasagna on yourself. How about you, Taylor? No, fine. Yeah, not too bad. You know, we're careering headlong into the weekend, aren't we? And that's when the real fun starts, doesn't it? Uh, But yeah, not bad at all. Uh, Right, should we crack on, chaps? Let's do it. Let's do it. I'd eat war, kid. (laughs) 
Right, let's start properly now then with the Athletics Newcastle United survey. Chris, anything you want to say about this before we get into it? So, yes, we just thought we'd take the sort of temperature of Newcastle United fans. Now January window is closed and given what has been a topsy-turvy season, I think the best way yeah. of describing it, there have been some immense highs, there have been some sort of gut-wrenching lows and also, obviously, there's been injuries, there's been uh, issues in terms of PSR and what Newcastle can do in January, there's been questions about decision-making from maybe the manager or from other areas, and just seeing how people, how supporters generally feel about the club and whether the noise that sometimes surrounds defeats or negative results or when you just look at social media, how reflective that actually is of how the fan base is feeling. And what I thought was very, very interesting from it was just how sort of sober i thought all of the responses were i thought it was very they were very level-headed there was there was no real massive negativity there was a lot of mitigation offered because i we asked people to to reply in the comments below as well if they wanted to explain some of their answers and really i was quite surprised i'll be honest i'd i didn't think it would be massively negative but equally i'm i I was a little bit surprised by just how sort of as i say level-headed everyone was it seems that really everyone even if there's gripes with certain things that are going on be it ticketing or be it certain decisions that are made selections the like basically the vast majority of supporters at least in the in the grand scheme of things the general direction of the club they seem very happy with the, the way the club is heading do you think in general that's because of the, the the social social media echo chamber that we tend to be living in um, a lot of the time if you read any of the comments after games or after big decisions like you'd think the world was ending wouldn't you but i don't think that's necessarily reflective in the real world is it yeah, it's very difficult sometimes to draw theories because, of course, when you're, you know, when you're watching the match as a fan, I do this myself. You say, "What the fuck's going on? Why, why are we doing that? You know, why are we doing?" I mean, that's what you do during a game of football, and that's totally fine. And at the end of it, you go at the bar, you take a step back, you sit with your mates, and you sort of chat about things more rationally, usually. But you know, in the aftermath of a, in the immediate aftermath of a four-all draw where you've twice been ahead, yes, you've come back, but you expect, you sort of expect to win the match. You're kind of angry. You've got all these different emotions going through you. And I think that's just, it's just like real life. But sometimes you do have to sort of take a a step away from it. And I think, yeah, to sort of echo what Chris said, it shows, I think, that The Athletic have uh, not just an intelligent bunch of subscribers, but really good looking as well good looking sexy yeah. attractive yeah. and and gorgeous uh, we should say this more often thank you so much yeah, to those absolutely. of you who subscribe uh, we really appreciate it but yeah no i was very pleased to see that actually that there was kind of much less of the the sort of oh everything's terrible you know that there's much more sort of understanding of the position that the team and club are in this season well, let's let's talk about the the, the kind of season overall uh, 72% think we'll finish the season roughly where we are now 7th or 8th in the Premier League, Chris, I think that's fair enough, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Newcastle are ninth as things stand. I mean, they are closer to, I think it's Bournemouth and 13th than they are to fourth place in the Premier League. So there are only 0.5% of respondents who think Newcastle will replicate last season's fourth place finish. The vast majority think seventh or eighth, which might be enough for European competition. It depends on various different coefficients and also how teams perform in the Cups and whether the European places from that drop into the Premier League, 18.2% think 5th or 6th, and then 8.6% say at the minute, ninth or 10th, and then 0.6% bottom half. So rough, I think basically there is an expectation that Newcastle 
will perform all right between now and the end of the season without necessarily the expectation that they'll go on a ridiculously good run which would take them back towards hopefully a top five sort of position because they really would need to go some now to do that. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad finishing place for Newcastle, 7th or 8th George, is it? It's, if somebody had offered you that at the start of the season, I think you'd probably go, well, that, that, with European competition, all the extra games and stuff like that, you'd probably take that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I would have. I'd have sort of said, I think I would have said at the start of the season, 6th or 7th, you know, you want to see progress in the cup competitions, really looking forward to the Champions League. But then, of course, you also have to put it in the context of what's been happening. And, you know, of course, the context for Newcastle has been this ridiculous injury list and how that's then sort of affected everything else. Again, I think that's a kind of very sensible starting point. One of the kind of first questions in this survey that, you know, Chris has written about this is is that people's relationship with the club remains absolutely as, as positive and strong as it has been before. So people can see the bigger picture that... Yeah, it's been tough this season. There have been moments when it's been pretty awful, just as there have been moments when it's been very good. But overall, people can see that the club's on the right track. And not as much upset, Chris, about the recent transfer windows as we might have anticipated as well. The results are pretty uh, pretty telling on that. Yeah, again, I was a little bit surprised by this. I mean, I basically asked A, how fans felt and how satisfied they were looking back at the, at the summer business and then B, how they felt looking at the at the January business and, and, and the vast majority said they were satisfied or very satisfied with the summer business and then 17.9% neither satisfied or unsatisfied. There was only sort of like 18% either unsatisfied or very unsatisfied with last summer's business and, and a few of the comments contextualised that and said if the actual players Newcastle have signed, certainly three of them, there was a couple of comments about Lewis Hall maybe the one question mark, but if you look at Sandro Tonali, Harvey Barnes that there's been unfortunate circumstances due to suspension injury which has restricted their ability to play, but then they they as players coupled with Tino Levermento, that the fans were very happy or in large part largely satisfied with that. Then January again, there wasn't as many that most people were neither satisfied or unsatisfied. There was a few more unsatisfied and 12.7% very unsatisfied, but again a few had commented to contextualise that and say they weren't unsatisfied with the with Newcastle's actual approach basically that they, they were uns, that it's just the fact that Newcastle didn't sign anyone but they understand that was mainly due to the Premier League's profit and sustainability rules and the, the Newcastle's restric- restrictions there so it was a difficult question I suppose for, for fans to answer and some of them were saying they would have liked to to have been able to give more context and so those who did comment I, I appreciated that because it meant that we could reflect that but yeah I think that that shows that it's still the general direction, the general thought process behind what Newcastle have tried to do in the transfer market. Seemingly, most fans still believe that they did the right thing last summer. It's just obviously that hasn't necessarily worked out in practice as of yet. Yeah, I think that's telling and very interesting because if you look at the team as it is at the weekend, as it is kind of right now, you would have to say that the transfer business has been awful because... There are no new players in the team at the minute. Yes, I know Harvey Barnes came on as a substitute, as did Livramento, but those players haven't started. They're not starting. So Newcastle's first eleven is the same as it was last season. But the, the, the point about this is that you can't judge a transfer window the moment a window closes. And I've said this before, I think there's a case to be made that in a year's time, two years' time, you could look back at this window and actually say, that was pretty good. You know, if Tonali's in the middle of midfield... You know, winning games. If 
Hall and Liveramento are at the back playing and Barnes is playing again. I mean, so again, I think that's, I think it's interesting that people have responded this way. Again, January, what happened? Well, nothing. I mean, so how can you be satisfied with that? But actually, the number of people who've been sort of very unsatisfied is relatively small. So I think it shows that perhaps that message about uh, FFP and PSR is is getting through to people, that people sort of understand the the parameters the clubs are working under. Again, I think that's kind of quite... I do think that's interesting. We also, Chris, asked people to pick their first choice 11 as well, didn't they? And these results for this are probably maybe skewed a little bit by a little bit of recency bias with the, uh, the Luton game having just happened. Dan Byrne admitted and Harvey Barnes in there. Interesting though, isn't it? It is interesting. I mean, what I found fascinating about this was, and, and again, to, to caveat and as, as some responses that were given, basically to, to make it ease to be able to select players. There were only Joe Linton, for example, could only be selected as a midfielder. Yes, now, there were some comments that people would like to have selected him left wing with Joe Willock behind him, and they couldn't do that. And, and I understand that also the fact that it was a prescribed 4 3 3 formation. You had to pick four defenders, three midfielders, three attackers, just the way that it worked, and in terms of the way for us to be able to extrapolate that information so th- so those are the caveats there but but then the general consensus throughout the team was fascinated me eight of the 11 selected were selected by more than 90 percent of, of respondents so that was uh so so basically the team is it's nick pope and goal he's one of those who was selected by by that many i'll go through the 90 percent people first so kieran trippy at right back fabian share who was the most selected of all players and sven botman at center back then you had bruno gamaraj and joe linton in midfield and then anthony gordon and alexander isak as two of the front three the three players who still got a decent proportion but weren't quite as high as that were the left back tino livermento has been selected there obviously was signed as a right back but is seen at the minute as potentially being an option at left back sandro tonali got a decent proportion as well again it was a one comment from from someone who who said for him and barnes who was the the other player who was selected uh, in in the front three and didn't get to the 90% ratio that basically they admit that they are partly selecting on what they think those players are going to be like because we haven't seen enough of them yet but the question was framed around if everyone was fit and available who would your strongest 11 be and Obviously, Tenali hasn't been seen since October because he hasn't been able to play. Barnes, we've seen precious little of, but yes, possibly recency bias from the weekend. And, and fans are excited by what they can bring. And I think that that feeds again into the responses that were given about last summer's window. From what people have seen of Barnes and Tenali, what they've l- learned about them, they are obviously excited about what they can bring. We just haven't yet seen enough of that on the pitch yet. I, I answered this question on the uh, on the survey and I, I had the same team, but I think I swapped... Harvey Barnes and Miguel Almiron. So I had Almiron playing on the right and Gordon on the left uh, and Isaac through the middle. Uh, but I can understand why people would would want to see Harvey Barnes. I'm, I'm excited to see what he can bring after this little break that he's had. It's uh, It's been a long time coming, hasn't it? He was excellent when he came on at the weekend. Obviously, he scored his goals, but um, in that cameo, you saw exactly what... Eddie Howe wanted to bring him to the team when he signed him in the summer, that direct running, the goal threat, um, you know, doesn't have the magic in his boots that Alan Maxima had, but the idea is that he's offensively more of a consistent threat. You know, I think I do sort of feel the same about Tonali. My sort of regret about that is that, you know, I just wonder what kind of player we'd be watching now if he'd been in the team and in the squad on match day, not always starting perhaps, but coming on, just, you know, how how he would have got to grips with the way Eddie Howe wants to play. We certainly saw um, glimpses of it at the start of the season. 
that Aston Villa game right at the start was the case in point. He was so good in, in that game. And then there were other moments when he looked less sort of sure of what he and Bruno were supposed to be doing. But yeah, that's a kind of source of regret. I didn't pick him in my team, um, funnily enough, because I, because I was sort of basing it on on that. I was basing it on systems that we know work very well. So I picked uh, Joe, I picked Bruno, and I picked Sean Longstaff, who I think is really important to the team. But that, you know, that's not a reflection on on Tonali. Um, I think he's going to be an incredible player for the for the team. But it was sort of based on what I know those players and what I know those players can provide when they're all fit and playing very very well. I had a um, fascinating conversation a couple of weeks ago with someone who knows Tonali pretty well. It was actually saying that the irony they see of the situation is that in some ways. This time out and the fact that he's now he's now fluent in English, he speaks English very well, he's learned exactly what Eddie Howe wants him to do, as George was saying, he's acclimatising to, to the environment, that when you, Newcastle fans actually see him next season, there is there is a, a, a significant hope that he will actually yeah. be better suited to coming into the team at that point than if he had been in and around the squad this year. I mean, obviously, it's a situation that nobody wanted and it has negatively affected Newcastle's season in so many ways. And obviously, I'm sure he's had a very, very difficult time during it. But, but the hope is that when he does come back, he will be ready to make the impact immediately as Newcastle need him to. I just want to make a very quick point, just Chris, having said that, I've seen Sandro a couple of times in recent weeks. One, when Alan Shearer interviewed Alexander Isak at the training ground, which Chris was Chris was there for and so was I. Sandro was leaving, training for the day, came straight over, had a chat with Alan, said hello, so I can confirm that about, about his English. But was very engaged, was very present at the training ground. He's there, he's there every day. Um, and then he was also at Alan, Alan's uh, foundation do. He was there, he was at the bar. He, oh, he got an invite, did he? Yeah, he, he, I think most 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 people who've ever had any kind of Chris, have you received a one-year ban from all foundation-based <laughs> activities? Is that what you've got? It's longer than I think it's like longer than a year's but, back, but, seemingly. But he seems was to... there, he was mixing with fans, he was speaking, he was chatting, and I know that's just a very trivial point, but he he, he hasn't sought every available opportunity to go home to Italy. It's nicely here, isn't it? Yeah, he's here, he's around, he had a great night from what I could see and was kind of very much part of things. And I just thought, yeah, I thought that was worth mentioning. That's brilliant. That's really good to hear. Uh, in general, Chris, the overwhelming consensus from fans though is that we need to strengthen that attack, don't we? The Injury-plagued uh, uh, Callum Wilson and Alexander Isak. They're kind of rotating in and out the team at the minute, aren't they? Taking turns to have injuries and then come back. Yeah, I mean, Alan from work said at our live show in October that what would be the position he would have strengthened in January and going forward, it would have been uh, to bring in uh, a striker. Now, the, the question was framed as striker slash forward. He'd have done it in the summer, Sorry. Chris. He'd have, he'd have, yeah. Well, he'd have done it, yeah, yeah. He'd, have done it last, he'd have done it last summer. So, the, I mean, the question was framed as the striker slash forward. Now, a couple of people have commented to say that they were looking at like a right-sided forward or whatever but the vast majority commented and said they want a top Judd K for example said I want a top class non-injury prone striker and that's part of the issue so 59.3% I was surprised it was that high although what our editor uh, David did did tell us that basically whenever we whenever fans do surveys for any club striker, striker yeah, is always the position they pick for God everyone wants a striker now 25.1% chose midfield that would for me be the priority I mean I think they need both and there was a couple of commenters saying I would I would prioritise both as exactly the same the question was meant to be framed as just if you could only sign one player who would it be and there is that concern that, that basically over the course of the last three months whenever Wilson has been injured 
Isak's been there most of the time and then vice versa, but they've not actually been there together. And even as of last weekend, they both weren't fit enough to start yeah. the game. And so that is that is that is an issue and going forward, Newcastle can't afford for that. They need someone who is a bit more durable. That was that was one of the benefits of having Chris Wood around when Newcastle had him at the stage, is that yes, he may not have scored a lot of goals, but he gave them a focal point and he was almost always fit. Right now, Newcastle don't have that. There was there were other comments about sort of Newcastle summer business and what they do or, or sort of don't need to do, and people were talking about it. Partly depends on who they sell, and, and I would agree with that. I mean, it, if you if you for example, if they do lose someone like Bruno Gimaraes, then they're going to have to sign a top class midfielder because you can't afford to not have him. For me, that that's that's where midfield would become even more of a priority. But ideally, you would like Newcastle to strengthen in several different positions. This was to focus on where do they definitely need something. And it's interesting that now it has become... I think if you'd asked this three months ago, I'm not sure there would have been as many as nearly two-thirds of people picking striker or forward. I think it's just because mm, there's been yeah. so few opportunities for both Isak and, and Wilson to be available over the last few months. Yeah, I think I based my answer on this in the sense of treating it as if it's the squad as is now. And I think... In retrospect, it wasn't retrospect for Alan from work, as we said. I think it was a mistake not to have another option uh, up front, you know, an an out-and-out striker. Now, Howe was asked about this repeatedly at the start of the season, and his contention then was that you've got Alex, you've got Callum, people who were vying each other really, really well, you know, for, for stretches last season, particularly towards the end, pushing each other very hard. I'm sure there was a hope that Callum would get over his injury problems. And then beyond that, you had Anthony Gordon who could play there and you had Harvey Barnes who could play there. Now, we obviously, we know what's we know what's happened, but I just don't think that's sustainable anymore. Now, whether Newcastle have European football or not, that might play a role. But I, I, I think that with what they have now, a striker has to has to come in. A forward has to come in, um, because I think when you look at what they have now in midfield with Bruno and Tonali and Jolinton and Willock, who we've just not seen this season, with Longstaff, with Anderson, with Lewis Miley, you've actually got a lot of midfielders now. Chris is right. There will be some churn this summer. We don't know what that will be yet, and that that might have an effect. But my my answer was really sort of based on what they have now, and I just, I mean, I just don't think you you can rely on Isak and Wilson much as I love them both as players. The Tonali point is 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 a very interesting one because I think that that we all naturally just almost forget that he is due back at the, he's going to miss the first couple of games next season but he is due back towards the end of August and he's, he's unavailable at the minute and that's part of the reason why there felt like such a pressing need to bring in a midfielder in January but as well as all of the issues that they had with PSR and who was available part of the thinking inside Newcastle was do we sign someone short term because yeah. we know Sandra Tonali is going to come back in August or do we sign someone longer term and then what effect does that have in terms of say if Bruno Grimaraes or Joe Linton say if both of them stay where does everyone fit in and do we then have we then used resources which we could really need to focus elsewhere and it that became a complicating factor in January the fact that he was unavailable Sandro Tonali but he is going to be available come the nearly the start of next season yeah and then of course the injury to Big Joe which of course then completely changed things yeah. around again and so at that point the priority became trying to find somebody who had his characteristics and so by the end it was I think it was described to us Chris as a as a needle in a haystack sort of um, in in January certainly uh, the players they were targeting and also with the fact that they just didn't have the resource unless they unless they sold someone so yeah I think that's a it's a fascinating it's going to be a fascinating summer and it is going to be um, it's going to be a big summer 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Jolita! Right then, let's move on a little bit. It looks like we have, Chris, around about three or four years to win a trophy before fans start getting really miffed, doesn't it? Sounds fair, but also sounds a bit dangerous if you want to start putting timeframes on it. Well, that, hang on, hang on. Before Chris answers, I mean, in terms of putting timeframes on it, the owners did that at the start. Of course, Let's yeah. not forget. So, you know, I mean, Amanda was was asked about it, and she said yes when she was asked about the prospect of competing for everything and winning the Premier League and the Champions League within five to ten years. Now, ten years is is certainly a sort of more comfortable deadline than than five years because we're actually not too far away. You know, we're not not too far away from that from now. But I, again, I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, I you know Newcastle are competing in every competition they're playing in now. We've seen that this season. I know they didn't qualify from the Champions League group, but they were competitive right until the last match. Same in the League yeah. Cup. Now it's still in the FA Cup. Sorry, Chris, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just, yeah, that, that deadline is is almost a self-imposed one. Yeah, it is. And also, I mean, this was trying to gauge again what sort of, th- th- there were sort of two questions. There was how important is it Newcastle win a trophy this season? And then how soon do supporters expect them to win silverware? And the, 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 the first one was trying to, without having a question which was too loaded or basically which which presumed the answer what do supporters expect from the remainder of this season given things that have happened so far and basically the only thing left in terms of other than if Newcastle can get into some sort of European competition is can they win the FA Cup but but how yeah. much importance fans are attaching to that and seemingly it was it was interesting because it was almost a split there was 40.8% believe it's important or very important but more than half said it was unimportant or very unimportant so it, you, you basically have a split between fans who who think that they have to win a trophy, the FA Cup this season, to sort of save this season, for want of a better sort of phrase. Do you think any of those sort of feelings or opinions have changed recently as well with all the PSR stuff and the FFP stuff? People are now suddenly more acutely aware of that. And I think I think maybe it's two years ago when the takeover happened, I was of the opinion, oh, we're going to win something in the next five to ten years. Now looking at the situation, and we can't afford or we can't physically buy a player in a January transfer window... And maybe he's reassessing that a little bit and thinking, well, actually, it might take us a bit longer than this and we have to be patient, you know? It's an interesting point because, I mean, all the stuff about FFP, PSR, was kind of reiterated from the start. It was said, you know, that they that the club would spend what they could within the limitations of FFP. Now, of course, what they did in the first transfer window was spend more than anybody else in Europe because they were, like, desperate, uh, desperate to avoid 
relegation. They spent big on Alexander Isak in the summer because Callum Wilson got injured, so they injured, so they brought that forward. We were hearing all the same messages, but then they brought forward Anthony Gordon uh, to take advantage of Everton's situation and to bring forward what they were doing the summer, etc., etc. So I think in those terms, Newcastle needed a window like the last one in order for people yeah. to take seriously yeah. that stuff about FFP. I mean, obviously, they didn't want to be t- taken seriously in that sense and not spend. But I do think it's been helpful in the regard that people now sort of accept that Newcastle can't just go and blow everybody out yeah. of the water and that there are repercussions for FFP. We've seen that with the Everton uh, points deduction. We've seen it with the charges against City and Forest, and again with Everton. So, uh, yeah, I, I do think there's more... Um, acceptance of that. If I go back to last season, oh God, I just I wish we could relive the League Cup final and and Wembley and maybe sort of enjoy Trafalgar Square a bit less and enjoy the day itself a bit more. And a because it would have been incredible for that team to win something, for us to win something, get that monkey off the bat. But uh, also would have sort of t- not taken the pressure off. But um, I do remember us sitting around last year and saying, it's never going to be like this again. No, ne- no. Never, ever will there ever be another no. season like this. I still maintain that it becomes harder. and uh, Until Newcastle, maybe three or four, five years down the line, yeah. the commercial revenues have extended and they have managed to get themselves into the PSO world. It becomes very, very hard when you are chasing the Champions League, both for the revenue it brings and to attract players to then also target winning a trophy and that's why I think that when people are like oh they're just going to win a trophy at some stage I don't hold the same opinion that it's just going to be like that because I think it is far more difficult and that's why I feel like it was a it was a, I mean it was a huge missed opportunity anyway obviously any final is but that that for me is the sort of concern that while Nick, how important the Champions League is going to be to make sure Newcastle can keep spending going forward can you prioritise a cup competition? And it's going to be very, very difficult to do that in the short to medium term. What we will say, though, Chris, is that faith in Eddie Howe and, and more so the, the ownership group as well, it's very strong, isn't it, amongst fans? Yeah, I mean, we asked specifically how satisfied are you with Eddie Howe's performance as head coach this season? And that was to try and to bring context to it. And and 36.6% were very satisfied and 50.2% were satisfied. So there was, and then 8.5% neither satisfied or unsatisfied, only 4.1% unsatisfied, 0.6% very unsatisfied. So even given the context of everything that has gone on this season, and, and I'm sure disappointment a lot of fans have in certain ways, there is still a lot of faith in Eddie Howe. People question individual decisions. Some of the responses were he needs to learn how to have more of a plan B or some people feel that selection hasn't quite been there that maybe he is too loyal in their opinion to certain players or he's used the same players too often or certainly and, and that that is that is entirely fair enough that supporters may that you, you can criticize individual decisions or you can have reservations about certain things a head coach has done but clearly they still maintain huge faith in Eddie Howe and a lot of the comments said one of them actually said he's basically performed a minor miracle since coming into Would Newcastle. And yes, this season hasn't been ideal in some ways, but but they see it as still positive. So that just just shows that there is a heck of a lot of, of goodwill still towards Eddie Howe and there is still belief that he is the man going forward. There are so many external questions from people, uh, from, from media organisations around the world as to the questioning of, oh, you know, is this is this first stage of, of Newcastle's takeover? Do they now need to get that next person, whoever it may be, to take them to the trophies and, and the success going forward? Seemingly, at least at this very moment in time, even given what's happened so far this season, the vast majority of Newcastle fans still believe Eddie Howe is the, is the manager to take them forward. I think this is the bit where, when you're talking about the sort of unhinged nature of social media, that this is actually the good 
correction point because you do get people who say how out and he's got to go yeah. he's like he's hopeless he's never you know in the immediate aftermath of matches and it's like you look at it and think this is you know this this can't be serious and i i do think this is a very valuable in that sense to re- repeat what we've said very often in terms of inside the club eddie howe is loved he's admired they work together incredibly co- closely they fully absolutely understand uh, the mitigation of this season and the difficulties behind it, and I'm, you know, just from a personal level, I'm, I'm very pleased that 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 people yeah. seem to agree with that. I mean, I've said this before, you know, I think he's the most important thing to happen to the club in football terms for a for a generation, and he's earned the right to get through a difficult difficult season and and start again. He really is. So I'm 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 very pleased about that this one and it seems Chris that fans in general are overwhelmingly optimistic about the future aren't they Given even with your pessimism naturally sort of seeping through into proceedings fans in general are pretty optimistic overwhelmingly so yeah uh, 58.2% are very optimistic about Newcastle's future and 40.3% are optimistic only 0.9% pessimistic and 0.1% very pes- pessimistic and 0.5% don't know but again that just shows that the there is still a belief that Yes, there may have been teething problems or Newcastle may have plateaued to a certain extent this season, but going forward, there is still full belief in the plan. You mentioned the ownership as well. Yeah, there there is a resounding positivity in terms of assessing the ownership and what they have actually done so far in terms of the decisions that they have made. I mean, I found found this all very, very interesting because the, the, the... The response which I was probably most surprised by was actually about... We discussed the priority position for this summer, but actually asking Newcastle fans how many signings were needed for this summer. And I thought that, I mean, I I selected five to six players because I also think that that's roughly basically what Newcastle are going to be looking to do anyway. And there was 22.5% agreed, but 68.5% chose 3.3 to 4 signings, which I thought, I mean, Newcastle made four signings last summer. I think this summer it's more important that there's more of a churn Depends and more of leaves, a, it? in yeah. and out, in my opinion. And I think that is other people in share the clubs. Yeah, but and quite a few of the comments actually said that it depends on who leaves. But again, that when we when I used the, the term level headed, there was another that that was another example of, of showing that that supporters are not necessarily expecting Newcastle to go out and sign ten players this summer and to completely change, and they they don't need to throw everything out and then start again. There isn't that belief. And I just think that this has come at an important point, and it's it, it's been a valuable lesson for for me as as much as for anyone else, someone who covers the club, just to get this sort of this this view to to give fans the opportunity to actually sit down and rather than just say something on social media or rather than just talk about the pub, here is your opportunity to answer a survey, looking at a few different issues. Yes, they don't cover every single issue you'd want. Yes, they're maybe prescribed in terms of some of the answers you can give, but to give your opinion on everything that's going on at Newcastle and the overwhelming response has been one that the general direction of the club they they do believe in the general direction the club is heading and they do see a positive feature for it i've been sort of thinking about this you see you do see stuff after matches when people who are kind you know you, you again we're talking about social media but people who are unhappy versus people who are see the bigger picture and there's that thing about happy clappers and mm, yeah you know, i've whatever. been accused of that a few times to be honest yeah well i'm definitely a happy clapper and i've, I've sort of tried to reject that but i, I am i mean what i actually am is I'm a born-again Newcastle fan. I mean, that is what what I am. And it doesn't make me better. It doesn't make me at all. In fact, it probably makes me worse in some ways because now when I... It's, like, it's under the previous ownership, particularly towards the end, 
I found it very difficult to get happy to get happy if Newcastle won a game of football because my because my bigger feeling was this is it's meaningless. It's gonna it means nothing. The club is not gonna get better. The club's not gonna get stronger. This particular win is just going to paper over a crack. Now there were exceptions to that. I talked about being in the away end at Goodison Park when Lejeune scored yeah. two goals to take the scores to two all right at the end of the match, and I was as happy as I ever have been. But there was there was also a, a bit of that was just like just defiance and like this is just an absolute pointless moment in time, and for that. Two, three, four, five minutes. It was just wonderful. But for most of the time, I found it incredibly difficult to take any sort of satisfaction from what the club did. Now, at the moment, I'm the opposite. So at the mo- I'm, I'm knackered, I'm tired, I'm, I'm quite happy for this season to end uh, quite soon. Very different to last season. But I can't really get like massively upset about a four-all draw with Luton because my overall feeling is that the club is going to get better and stronger and it's going to keep competing and yes FFP yes PSR but you've got like really serious good people in positions of responsibility in terms of Howe and Dan Ashworth and Darren Eales and Amanda and Murdad and you know that they will find a way of getting through as best they can and it does it sort of I do have this sort of strange response to defeats now I don't feel them in the way that I did yeah two or three yeah <laughs> three years ago and I, I, anyway I agree I agree with this survey that's certainly how well, I well I was thinking based on that what you were talking about there that maybe the there's still a bit of conditioning there from the Ashley years and maybe the fans haven't quite purged the futility out of the situation yet you know where we we, we believe there isn't any hope there's nothing to be you know, some fans maybe haven't got that out of that system yet and don't quite understand where the club is now and where it's going and what the potential is, you know. Uh, and that's why I think we still see these extreme reactions on, on mostly on social media after games and stuff like that. I think people have been, you know, we, we were hammered down for, for a long time over the years and didn't think there was any point in supporting Newcastle. I think people have to realise now, you know, that, you know, the future is massively bright for this club and they're, they're, they're going in the right direction. And, and I think also... The way that it started last year with the Champions League and all of that and getting to a cup final, maybe we need to just temper the expectations ever so slightly and just think, you know, that was a bit of a one-off, wasn't it? It was, but I do. I also think that that is part of the beauty of our club and beauty of our, our fan base. I mean, there has always been that feeling that, that we're a sleeping giant. And I, I think I referenced Bobby in the pod earlier in the week, you know, that thing of like when things are high, it feels higher at Newcastle. Yeah. When things are low, it feels lower at Newcastle. And this after all, was a fella who, you know, was England manager during a really difficult period. He managed Barcelona, you know, that incredible club, and he, he felt that about Newcastle. And we do have that within us. When any positive momentum gets behind us, it feels unstoppable. And then when things feel bleak, they feel really, really bleak. Yeah. And I think that is absolutely still part of our character. So when people see the team not doing quite as well as they had done the previous season, it feels like the world is ending. Yeah. And really it's it's not. But I don't think you can take that away from us. I just think that is part of our of our character too. So you have to embrace it, don't you? Absolutely. Right then chaps, let's uh, let's move on. We'll have a quick break and we'll be back in a moment to talk about the forest game coming up on Saturday. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, lads, we did well there. Four four two. Like, keep it second half. Like, we don't let don't let our standards stop. Right, we do not we do not let this slide. All right, we don't let this slide. We've got this lot on the ropes. Were you angered, George, that you couldn't select a four four two formation for your preferred eleven for the in response to the server? <laughs> yeah, too, I want a big lad up front next to a little lad. That's what I want. I want a hard man in midfield. I want <laughs> Dan Byrne and Ryan Fraser up front. I want a number six playing at centre half, Chris. I don't know how many times I have to say this. I want number four to be... What do I want number four to be? Holding midfielder? That's what I want. Right. Come on then, let's move on before this degenerates any further. Come on, you Maggies. So, 5.30pm Saturday, tea time, Christopher Wolf, Newcastle United will be taking on Nottingham Forest at the City Ground. Uh, Jacob gave us a bit of an, an update on Anthony Gordon as well, didn't he, who probably won't. But, but, I was just going to say, really, before we, um, before Chris answers, could, could could you like sort of do a trumpet blare? What? Taylor. Well, can you make the sound of a bugle? Why? Well, I, I need you to do it and then I'll explain. What, like... Yeah, but put your back into it a little bit more. Uh, so, uh, on the Saturday tea time, 5.30, uh, Newcastle United against Nottingham Forest at the City Ground. Chris, should be an interesting one, this, shouldn't it? <laughs> Sorry, okay, so I asked I asked Taylor to do that because Chris is actually doing an away game. He's actually doing an away game in the bottom half of the country. And I just, yeah, I just thought that needed a special little introduction. So thank you very much, Taylor, for, for indulging me there. There's still 48 hours for that to change, George. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Don't, don't count your chickens just yet, Colgan. You never know. Uh, thank you. But yes, Jacob did give a bit of an update on Anthony Gordon. He didn't track him to the Metro Centre. That's not where this 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 came from. He, he wasn't the small child who was it even Anthony Gordon. The, this is what we Anthony don't Gordon know, is it? You know, yeah, well, Matt Ritchie exactly. on crutches, fake news. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but the the injury is not as we as we suggested on Monday. It's not believed to be serious. The early scans are positive. It does look like he, he won't be available this weekend. That'll probably come a little bit too soon. But hopefully, Gordon is not going to be out for too long and that is a real positive given how important a player he is for Newcastle and given they're still they still are light in in the forward positions because I think Alexander Isak's going to be a doubt as well so very much the expectation would be that Harvey Barnes will return to the starting lineup and will make his first start since the Sheffield United game September 24th when he when he limped off and uh, given how much of an impact he made last weekend I think that will excite a lot of supporters. Uh, and a bit of a bonus as well, Chris, for us that they had to play extra time and penalties to see off Bristol City in their FA Cup on Wednesday night. That's exactly what you want to see, isn't it? Yeah, well, Newcastle have 
had the the full week to prepare for this match, unlike uh, unlike Forrest, who who had that to, to focus on, and then going the, the full distance and having to have penalties as well. That should serve Newcastle hopefully well. I mean, what I'm intrigued to see is how Eddie Howe approaches this. Uh, he, he suggested after the Luton draw that maybe with the personnel he had, he might have to change things a little bit. My understanding is that they have at least tried some things to train. I don't know exactly what they are, but but I have a, a, a my suspicion would be: is he possibly going to go to a four-two-three-one? Does he have the personnel to do that yeah. for the forward? Maybe not. But could he play Bruno Gimraish and Sean Longstaff as almost two sitters, or will he change to to five at the back, which is something else we know he's considered certain points? With that, because a lot of fans are talking about. Will he drop Dan Byrne and bring in Tino Livermento? Well, an alternative could be: Does he move Dan Byrne to be left side of centre back and bring Tino Livermento yeah. in as like a left wing back? I don't know either of those things for certain. I'm just my understanding is they have at least tried things. Whether they follow through with it, I'm not entirely sure. But it will be very interesting to see that eleven when it comes out on Saturday and to see if those changes that Howe feels may become necessary, he has actually put into practice in a team who basically at St James's Park tore them apart on Boxing Day. Uh, so we did actually get an email on shape and formation and personnel from, from Jamie as well, uh, saying Bruno may soon secure the two-game ban he's been threatening for 10 yellow cards. I think we all know it's coming. Could you see NUFC working as a 5-3-2 or a 5-2-3 with wing-backs, or do you think how will go another route, George? What do you reckon? Well, I've, I mean, so Chris has sort of touched on some of those things. I mean, one thing that we do know um, not too long ago was that Eddie Howe was, t- was thinking about uh, moving Fabian Share into midfield when there were when there were fewer fewer numbers there. I think it's a very interesting question. I think if Bruno does become suspended, it does leave them uh, it leaves them incredibly short there. Of course, there's also the they're very conscious about how much football Lewis Miley is playing. He's young, he's athletic. It's not probably not that he needs the rest physically, but mentally he probably does. And you know they realise that they're that they they're absolutely flogging him. You know we can see what's happened in the last three home games. They conceded ten goals. I mean that's sort of astonishing. But one of the biggest stories is just how many shots they're giving away since the Manchester United home game in December. Newcastle have given up more shots than any other team in the Premier League. Now that's that's not sustainable, and that tells you, you know, that tells you that a part part of the team isn't working. They're not the strong defensive unit that they were last season. I think there's lots of reasons of that. We've talked about Nick Pope. They do miss physicality in midfield. And I th- I think it might be a moment that this sort of experiment happens because I think they have to find a way of firming up. You know, it's not sustainable to be giving up that many chances. Could see Kieran Trippier in a, in a wing-back role, Chris, maybe, if we went with a five. You know, we didn't get to talk an awful lot about him after that Luton game, but he had a fantastic game, didn't he, with a goal and an assist. Uh, and it's also the second anniversary of that free kick against Everton today as well. Yes, he he was due a goal and he got he one last weekend. As I, as, and as I mentioned, uh, it was just for the first time in, in his top flight career that he'd scored and assisted in the same match. But I, I, I said then how important he remains to everything Newcastle do. On, on the field but also off it but but on the pitch you can see how much of a creative force that he is having him at wing back would change I mean it would change the dynamic of the team completely but it would also mean he's probably even higher up the field and that would bit that may mean he can get an even more attacking positions hopefully so that is fascinating to see and, and, and if Newcastle do shift to a five he can play either side as a wing back he's done it for England he's played as a left wing back as well for England as well as a as a left back so he's very very capable within that role I think Eddie Howe will be reluctant to move from back four unless he feels he definitely has to 
but he clearly is considering alternative options because he realises the personnel he currently has available are not ideally suited or not blended really to fit the 4-3-3 at the minute in the way that teams are sort of exposing them. And what about Forrest, uh, George? The Boxing Day Messi, the ghost of Christmas past. <laughs> Chris Wood uh, won't, won't be in the in the team. He's out. Uh, and it does look as though there's going to be a Newcastle old boy in their team as well, Matt Sells. I mean, the idea that Chris Wood missing out of this match a few months ago <laughs> being a source of good news for Newcastle would have been laughed at, wouldn't it? I I've mean, still got but PTSD then, from Boxing Day, to be honest. I'm not... Uh, I mean, he was so, he was so good. good, wasn't he? He was absolutely brilliant. Talking about big men up front, I mean, the ball in behind him running onto it, height and power, sort of absolutely everything you'd want from that sort of... Um, centre forward he was just astonishingly good so yeah I think we have to take that as good news (laughs) that he's out I mean they're in a they're in a strange run of form they beat Bristol City in the in the FA Cup in midweek as we as we discussed but on penalties and they've not had a win in the Premier League since the end of December so yeah so fingers crossed it's one that Newcastle can can go I mean I do do think they need to attack it and win it normally you would say a draw away from home is fine but we know that this is a kind of a run of fixtures where they ideally would be looking to get three points from. So Absolutely. Uh, right, then let's talk about the lasses at Burnley, uh, Sunday at 2 o'clock. Before we uh, get on to that game, though, there's been a date announced at St James's Park, uh, League Cup semi-final v Portsmouth on February the 25th. That should be an absolutely belting day, George. Yeah, be absolutely brilliant. So I've got yet another apology. I've got my second apology of the podcast to make now. So at the start <laughs> of the week, I said that we would be doing this uh, sort of nice big feature on the women's team. I still am doing it. I'm waiting for one more interview, actually, but took the t- t- decision that we'll we'll wait until I think the build up uh, to that match to sort of run this piece. It just feels like a great excuse to do that. We want as many people to come to St James's as as possible and it just feels like that would be the great moment to, to celebrate uh, what's going on with the women's team and uh, and do that so that's that's first that's a bit of business out of the way but yeah it's it's brilliant these um, these occasions have been absolutely fantastic they're looking um, for a crowd of 25,000 plus so I think that would take them above 100,000 for the matches that they've had at St James's they're brilliant occasions. Yeah. If people haven't gone to the Kingston Park matches, please, please, please go to St James's to watch them. It's a big game in the in the League Cup, of course, but it's just a chance really to see what's going on. I am particularly excited for Amber Keegan Stobbs, yes, friend of the podcast. Uh, obviously, she did play in pre-season in the Cellar Cup, but I just I can't wait to see how she responds to playing at St James's. I know it's just an absolute dream of hers. Uh, she'll probably be captain and yeah, I'm just absolutely buzzing for her and for everybody else. But yeah, should be great. I was at the uh the the, the lasses game at St James's Park against Bradford City and it was a it was a wonderful day, brilliant atmosphere, fabulous crowd. I, I, I couldn't hi- recommend it more highly. It was a really, really good experience. I would I would suggest you all see if you can get tickets for that and get yourselves along. Um, an absolutely huge game against Burnley this Sunday. Uh, Chris Forrest, I know, more likely title rival, uh, but this is probably a must-not-lose game, isn't it, this one? I uh, see what... So I, I thought H-E-W-J, which Ollie's written on, I thought that was like an acronym for something. I was trying to work out what it stood for. But it's no, that, pronounced that as huge. Huge, yeah. Huge. Right, okay, that, just to clarify... No, absolutely, absolutely massive. We, we've we've spoken before about how Newcastle needed to get back to winning ways last weekend, which they did. Uh, but they're still in in a strong position. But this is the sort of the, this is the, 
really, I mean, it's a cliched six-pointer, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, one of those matches that you just think, if if they can if they can avoid defeat, then I think it would be you'd be really now starting to think that they're getting towards a home straight. If they win, then they put themselves in a really, really, really strong position. So so just keeping that momentum going that they've built up from last weekend again and taking it forward, it's going to be absolutely massive. Just to add on to that, I mean, Burnley have been in second behind Newcastle for a lot of the season. They've been overtaken by Forest now, but they do have two games in hand. So if they won those two games in hand, they'd be only a couple of points behind Newcastle. At the moment, they're eight points behind Newcastle. So I think if, yeah, a draw would certainly be a decent result, but, you know, win and it becomes it's going to become very, very difficult for Burnley to to overhaul them. So I'm sure they'll be going for that. But, uh, but yeah, I think that sort of do not lose message will be, um, is, is kind of pivotal as well. You were at the reverse fixture of this in October as well, weren't you, George? We completely dominated that day, but um, couldn't put. Yeah, the don't ball expect in the net. me to remember. Well, of course not. I'm not expecting you expect to remember, me to remember it. That. Uh, but no, uh, now that you've said that, yeah, no, Newcastle did absolutely everything, um, everything but score. Yeah. So I'm sure that will absolutely be part of Becky Langley's thinking and team talk for this match. You'll be saying that they owe them one, which they do, and to repeat sort of what I said at the start of the week. What I thought was so impressive about Sunday and the game against Wolves, who were no, uh, you know, not a bad side by any stretch, was just how clinical and composed and professional Newcastle were. They were patient. They took their chances where they got them. They were every inch a strong uh, professional outfit, and so I'm sure they'll be looking to have a bit more of the same uh, at Burnley. Uh, chaps, that's it, I think, just about. What I will say is it's been an absolute pleasure to go back to the traditional podcast format after the complete batshit madness uh, of the last two weeks. So thank you for that. We've just about gotten away with it, I think. I think we needed to get back to basics. I mean, yeah, well, this you know, this is it. We're talking about does Eddie Howe change formation for, for his Newcastle team? All I can say is we experimented with that at the start of the week and it didn't go terribly well. So there's definitely a strong case for Chris Wood up front Little Chris Woff behind me. What position were I play? Have we had this discussion before? What positions you'd, were we... You'd be like a midfield midfield general where you'd kind of stand in the centre circle with your hands on your hips, ordering everybody Perfect. else about. Perfect. Left back in the change of... Per- oh, Chris. By the way, for our listeners, I don't want this podcast to spin out of control now that we've sort of kept it very tight. We have had a discussion about... Uh, the re-recording of Local Hero by Mark Knopfler and lots of other guitarists. And we have debated whether to include that conversation in this show, but Chris did come up with one of his baffling life theories again. So we've decided that we're going to have to examine that more and perhaps revisit it at a later date because this podcast would have gone absolutely out of control if we tried to do that today. It's best we don't touch that today. Uh, right, thanks a lot, Chris. Thanks for your time. You're very welcome. I'll see how I survive with a trip down south of the river and whether I come back in one piece. Is, is that your, Chris, is your, oh gosh, <laughs> is, your nose ble- is your nose bleeding? Absolutely. Uh, thanks very much, George. Cheers for your time. Yeah, so, apologies again. Apologies again. Huge apologies. Hopefully this is, a new, this is the new me. This is the end of the era of psychedelia from Pod on the Time. Uh, that is it. Thank you very much for listening. It's been great fun. Uh, we'll speak to you on the other side of the weekend. Look after yourselves. Take care. Goodbye.
forest and yes uh that's not true fucking hell i'm all over the place i'm having to correct my, i'm not all over the place i'm sort of just you were the one who said what, keep it steady what, what am i four four two solid at the back i am i feel like i'm keeping keeping it steady i i think i'm doing that <laughs> except i can't remember anything what am i trying to say here do we think I don't know. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.